0: This is episode 53 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have a very special guest, one of my original real estate mentors and good friend of mine, Carlo Sorrenti, on the show to talk about his journey in real estate, his focus on student rentals and high-end assets, which is a model that I've taken in my business. Uh, I've learned a lot from him and a couple of my other mentors and they really have contributed to the level that I'm at today. So I'm extremely grateful for that. I'm extremely grateful that Carlo decided that he was uh, willing to come on the show and share uh, some of his thoughts which are extremely valuable carlo's a very aggressive business person and uh, by working with him over the years i learned how to implement some of that into my business of course doing it my own way and that's what everyone has to do you always have to take these interviews uh, with a grain of salt and see how you can implement what you're learning into your own business your own life and your own personality so that it all jives but uh, you're going to love this episode. He talks about how he's amassed a $20 million portfolio, which is not small. Uh, he's always aggressively moving, finding deals and pulling off some of the coolest moves that I've ever seen. Again, I know you're really going to enjoy it. Some quick housekeeping before we get into it. Of course, we've got the Greater Hamilton REI meetup coming up on February 27th, 7 p.m. here in Burlington. So if you are not already in our private group, The link to that group is in the show notes for this episode. If you're having any trouble at all, please just reach out to me at The Andrew Hines on Instagram or Facebook, and my last name is spelled H-I-N-E-S, and I'll be happy to send you the link from there if needed. I also wanted to make a special request. If you have not already done so, please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. If it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever it is you listen, please just make sure you subscribe, and if you're willing, I'd absolutely appreciate it if you'd be willing to leave a review on itunes for this podcast it really just helps it rank better and it will help the podcast get out there so that it can help more people thank you so much for listening and watching and please enjoy episode 53 with carlo sorrenti hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines real estate investing podcast i have one of the titans of real estate in london ontario that flies under the radar and uh probably the only interview that uh that's gonna be out there i would think i'm hoping uh so carlo Sorenti, carlo Thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Titan Andrew. You're really uh, flattering me here. <laughs> yeah, got to butter you up. Um, anyways, I I, uh, I know when we first talked about this, wasn't completely uh, sure it'd be your your uh, your thing. I know you uh, you do like to fly under the radar, and maybe we can we can get into all that. But I also know that you've been incredibly helpful to me. So for those who who don't know, I've talked about you tons of times. Uh, sometimes by name, uh, as somebody who's helped me a lot in this game, and we've always shared stuff. And uh, why don't you just tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself and, and when you got into real estate? Yeah, and we have all the shared stuff,
1: and you've also been a tremendous help. So I, I've always really appreciated that. And um, yeah, this is going to be great just to chat and catch up. And uh, so thanks for having me here. So, yeah, my pleasure. Um, we'll just kind of start, I guess, where I went to university. As you know, we both kind of went to Ivy, the business school. And um, Regarding real estate, I dabbled in real estate before that, um, but I didn't make that sort of full-blown conscious decision to get into, you know, the path to financial independence until a little bit later. So graduated and was, I guess, recruited would be the best way to put it uh, for a job in Toronto. And at that point, I thought I already had in my mind that I wanted to um, sort of take this path uh, onto financial independence with, with real estate. So I thought to myself, you know, what's the worst that can happen here? I go to Toronto, I take this job, uh, it'll be a good experience. And perhaps it'll even uh, revalidate and confirm for me that I don't want to be in that position, in that corporate world, uh, working nine to five. And in fact, uh, I do want to just take the path, to financial independence. So that's exactly what happened. Uh, Took that job and just for about, I think one or two months, um, it's funny because you hear stories sometimes of people like they have these traumatic events and they get to a really low point in their life. And that's what forces them to just say, you know, I'm done with this. I really want to take uh, control. But for me, it was actually a pretty good scenario. Like I had a good job. I was with good people, you know, a good wage, good income. But I just didn't see myself, you know, going down that nine to five path. It just wasn't for me. Um, And I already kind of knew that, but it only, like I said, I was in that position for maybe one or two months and then I'm like, you know what, (laughs) this is not what I want to do. So came back to London. This would have been around uh, late 2009. Uh, Came back to London. Um, I got my real estate license, which for me has been a huge help. A lot of investors will say, no, I'm an investor. I don't want to get my real estate license. And you don't, you don't have to. Um, But for me specifically, as we'll kind of see as the discussion unfolds um, with the avenues that I took, it was a huge help. So primarily I got that because I wanted to really familiarize myself with uh, the market. And you have a lot more access to information to sales uh, and also just listings uh, quicker. Um, You see them a couple days before they hit MLS. So I got my real estate license um, late 2009. Uh, 2010 would have been my first full year as a realtor. And back in Toronto when I had that job, I had already made that decision. Um, I really want to take this path to financial independence through real estate. And for me personally, it wasn't necessarily just about the money. Um, I just didn't enjoy being in that 9 to 5 job. You can easily project that out, you know, 9 to 5, 9 to 5, every single day until yeah. you're 65
0: and you know what i mean you grab a pension well i know we've we've done like back of the envelope numbers so right. many times it just like what's the conventional path even in the realtor business you know what's the yeah. conventional path versus oh, yeah. being an investor right like oh, you you always struck me as the kind of guy that makes it really simple like the numbers are are really simple they make sense or they don't and when you're when you're in the uh nine to five business <laughs> you know you, there is no financial independence oh absolutely in that. i know that now it's like especially with the advent of YouTube and all the social media,
1: it's like more commonplace to say, oh, I'm not going to trade my time for money. But I thought that way since I was like 15, right? So I've always sort of had that mentality. So anyways, getting back to the story here. um, I got my real estate license, sort of been late 2009. And I knew in my mind that I really just had to put in a good year or two doing that to A, familiarize myself really, really nicely with the London, Ontario market really become an expert and have that knowledge, but then B, as we all know, just to sort of have at least a year or two of income to show the bank and get some mortgages. So I would say 2010, 2011, I was acquiring uh, probably three or four um, per year, which is pretty aggressive, but very quickly, um, like a lot of real estate investors, I got to the point where I was getting a lot of pushback uh, from the bank.
0: Yeah, so that's quick growth, right?
1: Yeah, so I I, I was pretty aggressive. Um, I've always been that way. So then, 2013 um, in London specifically, and this model can work in any any city, I would assume. Um, I noticed a really good opportunity to flip homes. So again, my number one sort of passion, if you will, is to hold. Because that's ultimately what's going to provide you with uh, the long-term freedom and whatnot, which for me is extremely important. Um, Just giving you the freedom to do whatever you want to do in life. Uh, That's sort of my end goal and what keeps me passionate about what I do. But nonetheless, um, in 2013, I started a separate corporation, um, as you know, just, just to flip homes. And I thought that would be a great way to expand my knowledge base, which it did exponentially, but also to generate some income for these down payments, right? Because you know, like all investors, you just hit a wall, um, unless you're doing the perfect so-called Burrs, which I was back then. I was doing all the perfect Burrs, which is why I was able to buy so aggressively, but you still hit a wall with the bank in terms of financing and whatnot, so.
0: And sometimes you might be putting in a little bit. I know you've had various structures that you've done things with, yeah. whether you had a partner or whether or not. Um, so everything's, every deal's kind of custom. Absolutely, but you've done deals. If I'm not mistaken, you've done deals where you've pulled out hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> of the bank's money. Not, you know, you got all your money back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things that I learned from us working together is uh, you control the process totally so uh could you just tell me a little bit about how you've controlled the process you know everything from appraisers lenders uh you know contractors are another part of the game too but you you taught me a you know a good lesson there and i know we've kind of learned that and grew grew with that lesson uh together in a lot of ways well that that's a really good question and it just comes down to the your whole motivation
1: for wanting to go down this path is to have that control You can control whether you succeed or fail. You can control your destiny, so to speak. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty... When it comes to an appraiser, I mean, if they're not favorable, I just
0: simply don't allow them in my house. I mean, that's a good example, right? You just don't allow them in my house. Mind blowing to me the first time <laughs> I heard that. You know, and I there's so many conversations we've had where I just like yeah. i could, all I could do is laugh. That, that's like <laughs> that's ballsy, um, which you know th- that's that's been a big part of your success from from yeah. my standpoint is that yeah. you have been ballsy. Um, but with the appraisers, so I've like, been told. So many people are just like, well, it's the appraiser. Whatever they say, they say. You know, well, hopefully they. Get give me a good appraisal here. Um, what, what are some of the tangible things if you do get a new appraiser uh, that seems open to discussion? Uh, what are some of the tangible things you'll do to help help you improve your odds? Well, what I'll do, um,
1: and this is what I would recommend any real estate investor do at any stage of the game, whether they're a novice or uh, moving up in the ranks advanced or a master is, like I said, um, the main reason I got my real estate license is to really study that market knowledge. So what you can do is if you're in a specific market like london or burlington and even within london like there or any city there are so many sub markets uh like there might be old east village or you know west london or north london keep a database like keep a spreadsheet of sales and if you're really making this choice to go down this path and you know earn financial independence through real estate you have to be the expert like not the appraiser like they might do that as a career as a to earn a wage but this should be your passion right this should be your your life like you need to have that knowledge first and foremost over any appraiser because this is what you're doing with your life like with your career this is your livelihood so i would say keep a spreadsheet um and
0: in other words you have comparables that you're showing to the appraiser
1: and in in my case specifically and i know you've dabbled in in some flips in london as well um it's immensely important because a lot of these transactions are sold off mls Mm -hmm. so there really only is two or three appraisers that are privy to these sales who are actually doing their appraisals so in that case it's vitally important that if you have uh, a new appraiser you a you can just not let them in your house but b um you could let them in and just you know work with them or have a quick chat beforehand and say look here's the deal this is a sale price I'm going to show you some comps. They're not really going to be on MLS. Um, if you can get behind that, we'll meet. Otherwise,
0: I'm going
1: to go with a different appraiser. You tell me, type of thing, whatever. Or and, you simply, and you've had people
0: back out on that and say, no, it's not for me or I won't. Well, personally, I just don't let them in, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that That's discussion i don't even have that discussion oh you don't i it's- just yeah i just don't let them in i don't and how does that work so if you see a name come up you don't recognize you know generally speaking now you're kind of at the point where you want the correct appraiser right uh the one that you know that's appraised all the other comps so they already know the value absolutely you want that person yeah so, so i'll just call
1: the lender or mortgage broker or whatnot and say
0: i'm not lying this appraiser in my house just
1: it, sometimes they can request an appraisal sometimes they can't so if it's random just keep going until someone else comes and no it's a little tricky starting out because you may need a sale
0: you may need that sale i'm not in that position anymore because there's enough comps on the market now right. it's now it's about relating to the last one and showing well hey mine's got quartz countertops and that one only had laminate and, yeah you know, yeah there absolutely. you go that's our extra or that one mine has an extra bathroom and the other one didn't
1: yeah so i mean just to sum up all of that it's important to really
0: have that market knowledge and be the expert at at what you're doing yeah yeah huge thing like uh, just an absolutely huge takeaway i also got that from the mortgage business being in this business is you can't assume oh, that other people are good at their jobs absolutely and i know that like i don't mean to put anyone down but never, i mean it's never. at the end of the day you you have to assume that you, it's your responsibility to take control of that process absolutely. makes it harder uh sometimes to to scale right but once you have your system in place and you and even your lender, like I know we've both encountered some lenders that seem to have a knack for picking the appraiser, uh, which, you know, then then you eliminate some of that problem yeah, because, absolutely. because, you know, you just, you know, you're going to get the guy that already knows these values. That's always nice. Yeah. 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 And then that helps for the perfect burr because <laughs> then you don't, yeah. it becomes yeah, less, yeah, of yeah. A, less of a gamble, which I think for a lot of people, they're gambling.
1: Well, also in a burr situation, it's like you can really take your time with that appraisal because it's you still own the property. Um, in a sale it's like especially if the buyer's a novice investor or whatnot or a novice buyer if you try and relay this information to them either directly or secondhandly through realtors sometimes it can get lost in translation and a buyer it's it may be hard for them to understand like hey
0: it's not appraising at this price but if you're doing a burr it's like yeah yeah, you're not coming in period are you finding are you finding that like you'll have a, a deal happen where uh it's a sale and the appraiser doesn't support it because that I haven't personally experienced. Um, I haven't had it where they don't support the, um, the price, yeah. the purchase
1: price, but I've had it where they don't support the, the market rent oh, okay. that we're actually getting, yeah. which nowadays, as you know, many viewers will know, it's going to
0: affect your loan to value. So right. that might be enough for a buyer to walk away yeah so for those who aren't familiar with that problem uh, a lot of our banks on the residential side and the commercial side they do a debt coverage ratio and they look at your income and expenses but they don't take your actual income especially when we're doing student rentals they're looking at fair market rent for a family rental but we both know student rentals get more oh absolutely and that's the that's a challenge that that i've had in the student rental game there are ways around it but you know uh, and i I know you've found some of those with alternative lenders as well uh, ways around that um Okay, so so that kind of covers that that part of the uh, the conversation, I think, just to kind of get an idea of how yeah. you're controlling the process. Sure. Is there other stuff that, you know, just while we're on the topic of, you know, things you've kind of taken the reins on where you've noticed it really benefits that you, you get involved with that portion of the process?
1: Yeah, so um, I've always kind of been a leader
0: type and
1: really good at delegating things. Um, having said that, it still is important to have a working knowledge of everything. So... It, It may do an investor well to, if they are getting into flipping, let's say, which has been a big part of my business um, since 2013, it may suit them well to take the reins on being sort of that general contractor role to to start out with, at least to familiarize yourself with the process and essentially make it so that contractors can't uh, take advantage of you or anything like that. So that could be a huge tip in the flipping, uh, in the flipping area. Um, as far as just, you know, other areas mortgage wise, it helps to be in control as much as possible. But at the same time, you also have to be growing and evolving. You can't just make that your sole focus, right? Otherwise, you can get so wrapped up in it that um,
0: you're not going to sleep at night, right? You have. To, I've always thought it was
1: important to have that balance uh, in life.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I respect that a lot about what you do because it, it definitely seems like you have the balance now. I know you've, you've had your years of working really hard, but Absolutely. I don't think you actually had to work quite as hard as some of the others. You, you were the work smart kind of guy. Um, oh, thanks, Andrew. I appreciate that. you so, bothering me too much here. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, one of the conversations we had early on and one of the reasons that I never used a general contractor was because of those conversations we had. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I contracted my own people and, and that's why I ended up getting into the business of doing some general contracting. Which, if I'm not mistaken, you still don't use a general contractor. No, you still hire out individual yeah. trades to do every job and every project you do.
1: Yeah. However,
0: uh, that's not to say I'm on site or or spend any time on site. I mean, it works like a clock. Yeah. You have people who are helping you absolutely, and they're running the site for you. You're you're really just the one writing the checks and totally and, and making sure that you're getting good prices. <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Well, and getting it done. I think writing the checks. Writing the checks. Yeah, that's that's the the best job to have. I think sometimes. And collecting them, <laughs> collecting is nice too. Collecting them's kind of better. Yeah, the first of the month is nice. Yeah, I always, I uh, always enjoy that. So, for context, since you brought that up, let's let's give people a little bit of context of what your portfolio looks right now. Uh, doors, value. Um, okay. Tell us a little bit. Yeah, I've never been a big fan of describing it in doors
1: because okay. uh, it's you're not really comparing apples to apples, and you're doing premium real estate, which like I, have, I, f- I know. for yeah. instance, I have one door. That's an eight bedroom student rental. that's worth in excess of a million dollars, just that one door. Um, but you could have a guy with a hundred doors worth, you know, or, or 10 doors, let's say worth a hundred thousand dollars each door, 10 headaches, 10 problems. Yeah. And it's the same value. So um, I, I would say the overall value is somewhere around 20 million bucks of, mm-hmm. of my overall portfolio that I'm holding. And there might be about a
0: 50 to 60% uh, loan to value on that. So there's some pretty solid equity in that portfolio. We're talking $20 million value, approximately maybe 8 to $10 million in equity across that portfolio. But it's not bad. Just yeah. getting warmed up. <laughs> Just getting warmed up. For a guy who started first property, I think you uh, you have one right near where I have one uh, over on the East End. Yes. And I think that was one of your first, right? That was kind of one of the first ones that I
1: dabbled in. But again, to put this in more context, I really didn't make that that conscious choice until i would say around late 2009 yeah early 2010 so about nine ten years or ten years or so ten years in the biz and i yeah so that you were around what like 24 i think yeah it's 24 25 like so when i came back from toronto to put into context a bit more i literally had debts i had nothing and i was living in my grandfather's basement so from then till now um it's been quite an evolution
0: yeah you didn't live in the basement very long though no (laughs) No, you you had a, a really good first year, first full year in real estate. Yeah, too. it was pretty good. I knew I had to you know, put
1: in that hustle and time. And all the while, like I said, I was so passionate about it because I was learning about the path and direction that I actually wanted to take for
0: myself. So I was getting all that market knowledge. Why go to business school then? I asked myself why I went to. <laughs> yeah, I was going to put the question back on <laughs> you. You know what?
1: Growing up, uh, I'm from London. So like ivy ivy business school is like such a good school and it's a great school i have nothing bad to say about it but i thought to myself like i always just wanted to get in right i wanted to get into ivy that would be like a great accomplishment so i was in university and uh, applied in uh, my second year i got in and then i actually uh, was asked by a professor to go to belgium for a year which is kind of off off point so i went which was my third year and then I be deferred the acceptance. So that was a great experience. Why I went is mainly because I knew it would be an enriching experience. Um, growing up, I was um, perhaps a little more on the introverted side and I knew that going there and being involved in the participating and whatnot, it would really kind of break me out of that shell and it did. And I also just thought um, for networking purposes, um it's just it's just a great school to go to build great contacts
0: in fact that's how you and i met yeah one uh, of the alumni events yeah we went to an event so the plan worked out and here we are yeah how profitable that relationship has been for me and i hope there's been some profit there for you too um that's you know it's huge just from you know going to an event and um I think the level the, the one cool thing is is the level of thinking that you have to be able to do to get into that school absolutely kinda, you know you kind of i saw that in you right away like you just look at things a little more critically uh and and the business school kind of creates these little monsters because you know some of them actually apply what they learn to their own lives and say wait a minute <laughs> i don't want to work every day and i don't want to work 100 hours uh a week which i mean several do well no doubt and that's that's exactly
1: what it did and just going back on one point that you mentioned yeah the relationship has been reciprocal and uh i've gotten so much value out of our relationship that uh i mean i'm blessed i'm blessed to have known you in every single way but um Thanks, yeah man. that's what it did that's what the school did it made me think really critically even more so than i had in the past and it just you come out sort of thinking in a different way and of course, it's not all about thinking critically. Like I mentioned, you have to have that balance in
0: my opinion. But it helped in that regard. So now what's what's balance to you? Like what's what's a typical day in the life of Carlo? I have a pretty pretty solid routine. Like so a big motivation for me why I wanted to take,
1: you know, the path to financial freedom was for freedom. It wasn't just for money. Um and I find that if if people do it just for money, it's not quite enough of a motivator because of course everyone's different and it doesn't have to end up this way but it could be that they end up having a a really unbalanced life just chasing money if that's their only motivation but for me the highest motive was freedom to explore other things that you're passionate about so for me I mean health and fitness is a passion I like to stay fit uh, be healthy so I have that freedom now to work out in the mornings. I mean, I don't have to go in at eight or nine o'clock. So I work out in the mornings. I have a pretty good routine. Have lunch, uh, maybe check in on sites, maybe not. Go to the office, uh, write some checks, write a few checks, as you said. But mainly, I, I really love to hunt, hunt for deals. Okay, like I've always really enjoyed hunting and just taking that action and being involved in, in the transaction, negotiating. Uh, so that part of the uh, the business is pretty thrilling for
0: me. Well, since you brought that up, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about hunting for deals because um, you have pulled off some of the most ridiculous deals that I've ever heard of. <laughs> always inspired, um, and to give credit where credit is due, I, I think that there's the average investor, uh, and when I say average, I mean an advanced investor by most people's standards. And then right. there's what you do in the in the deal making side of your business has been. Really inspiring. So tell a little bit about how you find deals, how you negotiate deals, and uh maybe we'll do a case study afterwards. (laughs) Keep flattering me here, Andrew. Uh sure you don't think I'm handsome? (laughs) Pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, you got the muscle shirt on here, so he's uh he's showing it off. Good stuff. Okay, so like I said, I've always been very aggressive uh when it comes to that. And that's gonna be
1: either a personality trait someone has or they don't. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that you're doomed if you're not aggressive. You can work on that and we may unfold some ways later on this discussion, but I never liked the approach of just sending out so many letters and, and all these these cold calls or, or what have you. And I know a lot of investors are going to cringe when they hear that. I mean, they spend a lot of time doing that. For me, that would have really detracted from me evolving and, and growing and focusing on other areas of real estate, like creating value in real estate. So I never really wanted to spend too much time uh, hunting for deals. So I wanted to do it effectively. So I, I always thought, like, how can you do this effectively? So being a realtor helps. That's number one in my personal case, because um, you're just able to network with that many more agents, potentially bringing deals off the market. Um, and I've, I've gotten many deals that way. So you're calling agents
0: and, and putting bugs in ears pretty definitely, regularly.
1: Definitely putting bugs in ears, And also they just know that I like distressed, beat up properties. And oftentimes I know the areas that I like to buy in. So oftentimes they just come to me. And what I found um, is you always kind of have to put yourself in the other person's perspective mm-hmm. and give them that sort of value. So I just tell realtors like, look, you can double end it. If you bring me a good deal, you can have both sides of the commission. I mean, it's not really a concern. For most realtors, I mean, no disrespect to them, but
0: um, they're really scraping for funds.
1: Okay. Yeah. Right?
0: So that's a huge help. Yeah. Statistically, the odds of being successful as a realtor right. are very low, right? right? Most most realtors are not making much money. No, so if you yeah, offer yeah. a double end deal, that's there's huge. some motivation there. Yeah. So that's one. Yeah. And another one
1: is, so I, I mentioned that I started this flipping business. And as you know, it's, it's basically a, a very niche market focusing on student rentals. Mm-hmm. So, because it's so niche, um, I would go directly to um, the university um, off-campus website housing and look at rental ads posted by owners and be like, hey, I'm not looking to rent, looking to buy. Uh, Are you interested in selling? Just very upfront. And, you know, usually you you probably don't get a response, but sometimes you do. And usually, of course, they're going to be like, how much? Yeah. And for me... Like right now, the level that I've gotten to, I don't even need to go and see the property. I can pull up the square footage online. Yeah, um, I can look at it on Google. I can maybe do a drive by. I know a lot of people listening are going to be like, "Hey, what what the heck's going on here? How can you, you know, make an offer without seeing a property?" But I've gotten to that point, just knowing. The various, even the various streets within London, and yeah. the, the
0: the age of construction, you'll know what it is. I'll know yeah. what I'm getting into. Yeah, you've already probably bought three on that street, right? You know, and it's the same shape. You're like, well, what's the worst case? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So, so just to finish that um, strategy off, what I do is if they're like, how much? I just say, uh, you know, what's your email? <laughs> and then, like, ten minutes later. Here's an offer. It expires tomorrow at six o'clock. So, oftentimes they're like, you know, what the heck's going on here? <laughs> so, I, I have to put one more sentence in, and be like, hey, I know this might be be a bit random or you know, awkward, but I've bought many on this street. I know the square footage, just to kind of validate that I'm not, you know, some guy yeah. just making an offer. But um, I don't put any conditions in. So, that so you is, just give them a firm offer. Give them a firm <laughs> offer. So that alone should be enough sort of validation
0: for them. I've actually never made an offer with any conditions in my life. Never, ever. never. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty different for a lot of people. It is. Yeah. So that's that strategy. I probably bought a couple dozen properties just on that strategy. To so just you start the conversation, and there's the second yeah, com- yeah, the yeah, second yeah. communication is an offer. Is an offer. Yeah. It could be Kijiji. Or it could be any site that has these targeted ads
1: yeah for for the kind of product that i'm looking for
0: uh and just to con- continue on with that um how how often are you getting like a response that's you know hey, okay let's talk about a, a serious price or are they are they saying okay that looks fair and and is your strategy to to hit them with a low ball or do you have a creative value add strategy that you are aiming to do that allows you to pay full market for uh for their property that is a very uh astute question andrew
1: because i would say starting out um a lot of investors are so focused on just paying the lowest dollar Mm -hmm. right but in my opinion you should always be learning how to create the most value so that you can almost pay the most out of any investor and that might sound counterintuitive but if you can be the person that is willing to pay the most and still make money on that property you're going to be at a huge disadvantage you're just going to have a bigger appetite right mm-hmm. a bigger a bigger uh range of properties that you can buy so to answer your question now i, I don't hit them with a lowball offer in fact i hit them with a very reasonable offer like no, is it like 95 percent of what they might list for maybe even 100 and they and they just they don't even pay the commission so i'm like here's a firm offer zero conditions large deposit no commissions it's like if they've even been considering selling in their mind in the next six months to a year it's a great option yeah so so yeah i I don't really lowball um like i said earlier i don't really like that strategy you can waste a lot of time and energy just putting out mailers and just talking on the phone and it's like i'd rather learn how to like build an addition or build a secondary unit or add value to the property where i don't have to be wasting time uh, you know lowballing and Bird feeding,
0: yeah. I guess this is the you know the counterpoint to that, and and the in the challenge is uh, the uh, the value add strategy is is a little time intensive. Um, You know, adding an addition, doing that kind of thing, adding a unit, and it's expensive. Totally. And and I think you and I have both t- tried to automate as much as our of our business as we can. Hire people to to manage the day to day, but they obviously have a price too. Of course, and uh, it, it does get a little challenging. So, can you give me an example like of a, of a deal where you paid full market or maybe even a touch more? And like what what did you buy it for yeah yeah, yeah. you know what did you have into it and what was it worth when you were done well we're working on a project
1: right now where it'll be a a flip so a sale a buy and sell and um i paid 315 for the house it was brought to me by another realtor off the market and it's in a it's in an area in london where you're gonna know the exact area i'm talking about there's four or five streets um they've okay. basically all been flipped in that area okay yeah you know exactly what i'm talking about you don't want to give that any other oh i can it's yeah, like you know the blackfriars yeah yeah, yeah. it's on Oxford. the west side of yeah. Warrencliffe, but nonetheless um basically 90 of the homes in that area have been flipped by either myself or a couple other players and you've done a, a bunch in there as well yeah i own in there as well yeah, yeah and you own a couple of really nice ones in there um so getting back to the deal i bought it for 315 and this kind of speaks to my earlier point where let's say there are investors out there they may be pretty like astute investors they may have five six seven eight properties but what i bought here is a little two-bedroom bungalow with 650 square feet for 315 so they they would look at that deal if they if they haven't built an addition or added the type of significant value that i'm going to talk about here and they would say you know it doesn't meet my rule or it doesn't meet my right right but that's such a limited mindset Yes, it, you know I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. If that's the path they want to take, great. Mm-hmm. But if they if they just focus on putting all their energy into hunting deals, right, and just getting yeah. below market deals, they're really going to be missing out on learning how to create value. So getting back to this example, we're doing a pretty uh, sizable renovation. I mean, we're building an addition, we're uh, renovating the interior. It'll be about just shy of I want to say two hundred thousand dollars. Um, so that'll be your soft and hard costs. Okay. Including borrow cost. Yeah. Okay. Everything. Okay. And if you go back to that same investor and it's like, Hey, if if you could buy this for three fifteen, and then you could do a renovation for X in this case, 200, and you could sell it for like 700, you know, would you do that? they'd be like of course what?
0: yeah if they if they knew you know the variables i think scare them right the reno scares them the idea of building been- an addition yeah. scares them which i mean at one point scared both of us too oh absolutely yeah so anyways that's the end value approximately 700k and it'll be you know a decent little sale okay so purchasing reno on that one uh let's just total that up real quick so about 515 and you're figuring your sale will be about seven hundred thousand on yeah it, it Yeah, be a net of around 675 after commissions are paid and whatnot yeah so you'll pay some commissions um and this uh this is not something that that you would list correct it's not something i would list on mls um
1: personally i've developed exceptional relationships with um realtors
0: who basically have lineups for the type of product that i that i offer and so, so this is the cool thing, which I always loved about this is, is you're not really sa- You're not really selling a property. You're selling a solution. What solution oh, are you selling? <laughs> so smart, Andrew, the solution that I'm selling is,
1: uh, a lot of people use this term turnkey, mm-hmm. but the solution I'm selling is a t- actual turnkey property. Uh, that's why I started my business. Um, so renovated rented. Uh, referred to property management company so these are typically investors that aren't uh, into real estate full-time they have careers dentist lawyer doctor who have some excess funds and would like to buy one or two investment properties and for them you know like many people out there uh, these folks just don't have the time right they don't have the time to come in and deal with headaches so they want something turnkey uh, newish you know renovated yeah. It's going to be competitive over time. So that's the solution.
0: Yeah. So get those major items, make sure it doesn't need a roof, windows, absolutely, you know, anything like that, that's going, and those are the major worries. I think other things people worry about furnace. Absolutely. Um, so those are the type of things we want to, and we don't want to have, you know, knob and tube. We want to have a oh, properly wired house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so this one, not to, to to breeze past the fact that there's $160,000 of profit on on the deal. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, how many deals like that are you typically able to do in a year? Um, I could do I could do at least 12,
1: 10, 12, um, but it's going to depend on the market. I'm not going to get into a, a deal and overpay just to take on a project. Mm-hmm. So I have pretty high standards when it comes to um, profit margins. But it's important that for any investor, if they are in this game or even the buy strategy and hold, you, you sort of have to always evolve your expectations with the market. Um, so for me, I've been probably averaging five to eight per year over the past. And that's s- flips or that's including the ones you keep? That's just flips. Just flips. So since okay. 2013. Okay. In addition, I've been adding uh, so like ones that I really like, uh, perhaps you know top, top locations or top homes. Um, I'm just keeping in the portfolio and adding them in. Yeah, how many keepers are you doing in a given year? I like to target maybe uh, two to three, uh, but it's just going to depend. um, On
0: what you can find.
1: Yeah, like right now I have a really nice sixplex um, that I acquired
0: last year. We're just finishing it up and getting it fully stabilized. Yeah, I, I love this strategy of seeing the value that others don't always see, like with the additions, with the, you know, when you sell a solution at the end of the day and you understand that there are people out there that just want a property that just makes cash flow. Oh, absolutely. It just It makes cash flow. It it, uh, it doesn't require a lot of work. Yeah, and, and that's uh, a huge one. Well, yeah, and especially when you're talking like student rentals are a business, like this is not something that, that a person should ever buy one of and try and manage themselves
1: no i totally like if agree. you're getting
0: into student rentals i was just having a conversation with somebody about this the other day like yeah it terrified me at first i use property management as you know right now i'm self-managing but at first i was doing so much on the reno side and in the acquisition side i didn't feel like i had time to learn that well i'm glad you're self-managing i yeah. mean as you know it's not a big deal like it's <laughs> not once you have the systems right yeah <laughs> yeah and i know like you've helped me out with some of the emails and the systems like yeah. that you do yeah, yeah. and uh yeah that's been huge right so yeah happy to anytime. Yeah, well, I got lots of brain picking to do. Uh, <laughs> we won't have time to catch it all uh, on the podcast. But uh, okay, so you had some stuff. You, you did me the courtesy here of giving me some, uh, some topics you thought would be good value adds uh, for, the, uh, for the podcast here. So you have uh, an approach to learning and, uh, and it's not reading books <laughs> about real yeah. estate investing. So I think um,
1: I would say that when you're, it depends where you are on the real estate investing scale. But if you are starting out, for me, it's always more important to learn by doing uh, rather than theorizing or going to a course or investing in books. I'm not discounting that. Um, Of course, get yourself to the point where you feel at least comfortable to make a move, but don't overdo it. Like I've heard people spending, you know, 10 or 15,000 on courses. It's like, and they don't own a property. So I would rather them take 10 or 15,000 and throw it into a $200,000 starter bungalow or even a condo where just get your feet wet. Even if your worst case scenario happens and you lose, you know, one or two months rent or you don't do quite the optimal renovations, even if you lose (laughs) $10,000, it's better than actually spending $10,000 on a course. Yeah. In my my opinion, interesting. So you're going to, you're going to learn that. And just by virtue of going through that experience of buying that property, you will learn about getting a mortgage, you know, getting, getting your files organized. You'll learn how to pay your taxes, um, hydro pay utilities. These things seem basic, but once you can get to the point where all of these like basic things are just on autopilot for you, you can focus on the next steps in your, in your journey and your growth. So I would say the further along you go down as a real estate investor, the less you should rely on learning by doing. What I mean by that is <clears throat> you shouldn't just jump into a gut renovation, <laughs> right? If you haven't before, in my opinion, you should seek out someone who has been through that. Yeah. Maybe two or three people who have been through that. Offer them some value, right? Offer them something that you can give them value on yeah. and also pick their brain. Yeah. Um, I've heard of investors like, you know, this, this poor girl I was talking to, she got into this, you know, gut. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, it's going to be 40 or 50 grand. And she already bought it. Uh, she got at a house and thought it would be 40 or 50 grand. It's actually two units. Oh, man. <laughs> and she already bought it at that point. I'm like, you know, you're going to be 160,000, 180,000. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, what? Because she'd only ever done like, um like lipstick uh, yeah. and stuff like that. I'm like, this is pretty different. So getting back on track here, I would say... As you graduate to more advanced levels and a mastery level, you really shouldn't be relying on learning by doing. You should talk to other people and really gain that experience so that when you do get into a gut renovation or an addition, um, you almost feel like you've been through that before because you have that, that network that you've built up and you're able to rely on them
0: yeah in other words learning from other people's mistakes even if it's not in a book you're you're learning by meeting real people and uh yeah, which which we're going to do after this when we go to the event so i know that this is going to air on a different date but we've got the greater hamilton rei meetup that, yeah i'm excited that we're doing. for that too andrew yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a good time um so yeah i appreciate you sharing that i got a couple more that i'm gonna ask you sure sure how should people grow their network that's a really good question as well um i, I think for me
1: personally i've always had a bit of a unique approach to that and I've always consciously tried to give more value to people at least at the beginning than than receiving and what I mean by that is so often you you have people at these networking events or or anything, and it seems a little bit forced like it seems like they're going there to try and learn something themselves or to uh, just to to receive value yeah. so in my opinion if you don't always have like a at least a fair exchange of of value and ideally you want to be the person providing more value then that relationship isn't going to the other person is not going to feel like they're getting a good deal right so when you're trying to build your network up don't ever feel intimidated to reach out to someone um that you may perceive as more successful or whatnot and figure out how you can offer them value so you may know uh flipper or um, someone that likes to do wholesaling you may reach out and say look um, could we go for coffee for 10 or 15 minutes Uh, I'm really starting to dive into hunting for deals and it looks like I'm gonna have more than I know what to do with and I wanted to meet you to see if there was a chance for me to give you some deals in the future and as well I want to ask you some questions on on your business and how you've gotten to point where you are most people are gonna be like yeah of course I'll take 15 minutes with you that's just one example Um, but always try and give more value than you're taking like yeah it may be hard for people starting out because they Mm -hmm. may feel intimidated another good example is um you're dealing with a private lender you may be really intimidated by that just to speak to a private lender right like of course there are a minority of people that come from financial backgrounds or just dealing with wealthy people that are going to feel more comfortable but for the majority of us real estate investors that we're starting out, we, we are going to feel quite intimidated by dealing, like speaking to someone who, you know, just has millions of dollars mm-hmm. at their disposal. But one sort of mindset that I've always used is just know, just by the fact of them talking to you, you have some implied value. Like you, right. can, you can provide them a yield. It's very simple. Yeah. So just know that that in itself is essentially that's good enough right. for you to have a conversation with them.
0: Yeah, and I think it's an important point you're bringing up. Like You yeah. have to be adding value. I think there are a lot of people, like you said, that are out there with their hand out. Like, a lot of younger people who are just getting started that don't get like that they can still add value. So it's not an excuse just because you're, you're getting started Absolutely. to not try and find a way. Sometimes you might just have to make that value with hard work.
1: Right? Yeah, you and bring I,
0: up a good point. Be more creative yeah. in how you add the value. Yeah. I have people that uh, that have reached out to me that that uh, do various tasks for me in exchange for like mentorship, which I think is uh, a super awesome opportunity for both sides. Totally. As long as there's commitment there. It doesn't work if you're kind of ho-hum about it. You got to be there and meaning to be there. (laughs) But uh, yeah, there's there's so many opportunities for people to do that out there. Um, And I think that that's there can't really be a better way to learn. Like I just think about how much. I've learned from you and you know how many problems i've tried to solve and how many problems we've solved together oh absolutely you know that's that's the kind of relationship uh, i wish i had 10 of those relationships because it's Ditto, yeah. you know you can just you can just keep multiplying your wealth that way
1: oh absolutely you know that as your network expands you're just going to have that many more people that are experts in all fields right and you're not going to be afraid to provide that value up front so these people when you do need something yeah that's a powerful position for you to be in You're not going to abuse that power be respectful and don't waste people's time ever but if you really do need something they're going to want to help you because you've always been the one to give them that value and a good example with you and i is just a few summers ago um, i was in a cash crunch Mm -hmm. and i needed some private funds on a, a deal like right away and you were most helpful and jordan was beyond helpful yeah
0: and we got a deal funded in like eight days yeah shout out to pro funds i guess we should give them credit. <laughs> yeah carmen yeah. and profile
1: i mean they were yeah. incredible
0: yeah absolutely so i yeah, i remember that so we've you know we've that's the key right like we, we you know if i have a private lender that i work with and it's working i'm telling you about it you absolutely. know you have multiple lender contacts that you work with or you knew people were using and you you hooked me up and totally you know that's that's the uh that's the real benefit of, of kind of having those relationships yeah. so yeah i appreciate you sharing that um. so you talked about creating value in properties but you didn't get into the specifics i know we did just sort of do a case study on on your numbers there Um, what are some of the things that add value when we're trying to solve an investor's problem we, you know they want a turnkey property so what are some of the things you do to add value mm-hmm. so like novice investors can really focus a lot of their time on
1: like i said hunting for really below market deals and then just you know doing a burr which there's nothing wrong with that but like i mentioned um you can have an investor with like six seven eight properties very intelligent investor and you know on the right track but he may not even know how to do a, a little one room addition mm-hmm. so therefore when he sees a property that could actually be extremely profitable yeah he's just going to shy away from that okay. so i would say always try and be learning in the areas that you don't feel the most confident in. Okay. Always try and be learning how to add that value whether it be in, in addition. Everyone has different skill sets. So yeah. just understand, don't don't close your mind off to an opportunity yeah. just because you haven't done it before. Look look around. Like look at the world. Look at real estate. Look at all the additions being built. People are putting up 20 stories. Yep. Like you don't want to spend your time hunting for deals you know that are 200k and just do that a million times like learn and grow
0: i think part of that comes back to like who are you modeling like who are you absolutely who did you look up to and and what success did they have then you said i wanted that and if you're if they did something that's so drastically different than your approach then maybe that's time to reflect absolutely um yeah, just to clarify, so Carl talking about building, you know, building, actually physically adding square footage to a house in the backyard, probably. Oh, yeah. Uh, sometimes maybe topping a house if uh, if you yeah. had the opportunity. I don't yeah. know if you've done, have you done one of those? I haven't done that before. I have uh, lower basements.
1: Um, lower basements, okay. Another really good one is, you know, most municipalities in Ontario now have a bylaw where you can just add a whole unit yeah. to a property. Either if it's a bungalow, yeah. let's say you can do it in the basement. Or you can build a whole additional unit on the back, um, providing you only go to a certain cap of bedrooms. In London, it's five. Other yeah. municipalities may be different. Yeah. But again, like learn how to learn how to do that. There may be a huge opportunity for investors that their mind is closed off to. Right. Like look around you. If you're in this, if you really want to be financially independent, mm-hmm. learn, like
0: evolve. Absolutely, yeah. I think what well, we were both doing—one at the same time, adding one in the backyard. Yeah. There, have you done more of those? Yeah, I've done a total of two, two of those. Okay, yeah. I, I know we were talking about the numbers on those. They're a little harder to make them work because it's yes. it's more expensive when you're adding an extra kitchen and you know doing all the things to separate a, a unit. Right, you have separate furnace, yeah, 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 all yeah. that stuff, and it, you know it can definitely add up. And I was like, you know what,
1: my mentality—it's like whatever. It's twenty, thirty k more, but it, what you've learned,
0: yes. you've been through that it's a It's a massive win, well, and I'm happy I kept that property and you you kind of encouraged that it's uh probably one of the coolest properties I own, yeah, I bet you like just wait six more months- you only did it six months ago or so, yeah, I think I finished
1: it yeah about about eight months ago, six eight six An eight additional eight months ago. six months, yeah, so that's only a total of one year.
0: It'll be worth a hundred thousand dollars more than what you actually were planning on selling it for, yeah, so yeah, and that's I've said this so many times like i I think every time I sold something, I look at it. I'm like it would be worth now 100 grand more than I sold it for, and that's like two years two years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, selling properties usually comes with regret to some degree. I mean, sometimes you you know you do it because that's part of your your income strategy. Yeah. And to clarify, so for you, your income strategy is mostly surrounded uh, with your uh, buying and selling rather than being a realtor. Realtor is more of a tool. Yeah,
1: I don't really take on any clients as a realtor. I'm not out there showing homes. I have pre-existing relationships with some investors like you or a few other ones mm-hmm. but yeah my time is spent on my on my flipping business which is more active and as well on you know managing the existing portfolio and and renting it i do all my own renting um and adding to it and acquiring more
0: yeah. so that's what i'm passionate about do you have a, a goal like wh- like a goal that you're you're targeting for i know it's not cash flow we talked about cash flow yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that's part of it but i think you've already kind of hit most of your cash flow goals yeah you know what i don't have a I, Like I said earlier, I don't have
1: a a monetary goal per se. Um, I really enjoy, like, I really love to put my vision on a property and see it from point A to B Mm -hmm. and just know that like you're in that leadership role, you're delegating at the end of it, you've built that to either keep or sell, but it's really cool when you keep them and you look back, like Mm -hmm. you built that sort of empire. And I like to put that vision on it and see it completed. And all the while you're, you know, essentially giving people work, which uh, is honorable yeah. Um and you're giving tenants a, a really amazing home, which is honorable. Uh there's honor in that. And at the same time, there's freedom. Like you come out of that tunnel when you've done all this, and at the end there's there's that freedom. So for me, that's that's the goal, is is the freedom. There's no there's no financial goal. Okay. And
0: but you're already there as far as freedom. <laughs> you could just that. stop. I knew you were <laughs> gonna <laughs> say they're so predictable, Andrew. Yeah, it seems like you have fun fun with what you do oh absolutely which it is fun you know i, I think fact to some of those those renos the, the ones i i kept the ones i sold yeah. um you know there was it was a great time it was a lot of work yeah. coordinating all of it but it is fun and i like the creative part i think you do too you've always you know kind of gussied things up and done them different ways and yeah and you were uh i think you always took a lot of pride in like posting those photos on off-campus housing when you're trying to get tenants and your photos just blow away everybody else's <laughs> and uh yeah like you get the students all like bragging they're like oh my place is nicer than right they than take everyone pride else. in it
1: so yeah. it it's great to to know yeah. that you actually like your vision created all of this created the hype with them, giving people work um the whole nine yards so to me
0: that's really a passionate part about it yeah, they get into it too like I know some of my tenants uh, they, they really want they want to hear the story of what I've the pla- had girls what the place like like because yeah. at this point people
1: tenants. They just sort of feel like the the, call it confidence or 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 power emanating from me when i show them a house like based on the other examples they just feel it so i've shown for instance tenants homes that were untouched but there's a floor plan Mm -hmm. right and i've shown them other examples so i've had situations where these these girls these students have come into homes um, when they're about to move in and just like cried like they're so excited they just cry they're like oh my god it wasn't and they're literally
0: crying it's like it's like pretty incredible like you're you're creating that right i've never had that that's that's good yeah yeah that's a that's a great point um i learned that from you uh yeah advertising a property before it's done for rent like taking people through while it's under renovation that's a really effective way because they know wow this guy is serious you yeah know? he's renovating you know it's there's only one way it can go they're gonna you know they're gonna finish the property and yeah make i mean it there's a yeah. fine line yeah. um <clears throat> especially if it's
1: students sometimes they don't really have that vision okay so as you know right so you show them maybe one of your other houses that's already done correct right if you take them in and it's like Mm -hmm. totally under renovation and you know the concrete in the basement is busted out and they see dirt it's like in their mind it they might think what the heck's going on here like they've never seen that right so right right so you just have to go with your gut and and do what you think is going to
0: be best and and be strong in your approach and be confident right yeah. Yeah. You'd never seem to have any problem with that. <laughs> oh, that's cool, man. Um, hey, if, if people would like to learn more about you, um, maybe connect with you in some way, is there a way that, uh, that we can have them do that? <laughs> as you know i basically have no social media i've been so just focused yeah. on business but yeah just email is fine so email is fine you want me to put that in the show notes yeah that'd be fine yeah okay yeah so i'll share your uh, your email if people want to connect with you that way Perfect. um and then just kind of getting to know a little bit of, about you when you're uh, when you're not working uh favorite hobbies to do i used to play a lot of poker a lot of poker uh, yeah as you know i just found it to be yeah. just
1: just thrilling the competitive aspect uh I, for, for money and it also just got some down payments yeah it was some pretty profitable poker yeah yeah, yeah 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 uh these days i don't play too much but like i said i like to stay fit uh hang out with friends
0: and uh just do what i want like you know live life whatever i want to do every day is wide open yeah, as yeah, far as absolutely. If, you, if you don't want to work you don't have to correct but you you know you're gonna obviously have a certain amount of work you're gonna get done in one one week probably and like a big motivation for me is like you know one day when I do decide to have a family, like
1: that's huge to have that freedom. Right. Um, Cause I never had that growing up. Right. So to have that, to be able to provide that, that's always been a huge motivator for me. Okay. So
0: that's cool as well. So, so kind of looking at what you didn't have with your parents and your situation yeah. and then you want to be able to give that. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's, a, that's extremely fulfilling. That's a big motivator for me too. Uh, just knowing what my, my parents kind of struggled with. And they never were real estate investors. And I don't think your parents were either. No. Um, And it just made me see that. And I, you know, something clicked somewhere along the way in business school that real estate was going to be the way. And, uh, yeah, it's funny how, how a lot of people who want the independence, that's where they end up. Hey guys, I just wanted to pause from the episode for one second and introduce this upcoming section Carlo had a couple of specific topics he wanted to cover before we started shooting the episode And right now he's going to take a moment and just talk about leverage I had just bought my my house. So I I got out of my
1: grandpa's basement This was like 2010 and I'm like Heinz like I put this HELOC on it like a home equity line credit I'm like you got to do the same thing. I'm like I just I bought it for 230 and they gave me a loan for like 280 So I not only got my down payment back, but I got an additional 40 grand and uh, it's huge. So that's just one thing. I know we're wrapping up, but just leverage. Yeah. If you can, if you can use leverage to your advantage and do all the other things we talked about, like create value. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a no brainer for you to take that leverage and uh, just go ahead and create value in real estate.
0: Yeah, you can just keep recycling the money, right? That's the key is if you got to be able to add that value, enough value that an appraiser is going to agree with you, you're for going sure. to be able to pull that money back out and then your 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 portfolio grows infinitely. You never oh, yeah. have to stop. But if you're not being if you're not finding creative ways to pu- to create enough value to pull your money back out, then eventually you hit a wall. Yeah, which is why you have to keep learning. So, got to keep learning. Got to keep getting creative. Um yeah, absolutely. I uh, couldn't agree more. And watch Andrew. Yeah. You're a huge value add. Yeah, thank you. Just I appreciate this that. show, I mean, your Instagram, like, huge. Like,
1: especially for people starting out in all levels. Mm-hmm. But uh, And you're always an open book. You're a really good example of what I talked about with, with the networking is just always try and give that value. I've always sensed that with you and seen you interact with anyone like you're a really good example of that pause
0: again folks in this section carlo talks about his personal development routine and what he recommends in order to be able to talk to contractors lenders and tenants in a more productive way carlo has a very specific day- way of dealing with people in his business and you're going to get a really good idea of his personality and the way he likes to conduct himself in these upcoming tips in this business you always have to come from a place of self-assuredness and uh
1: confidence mm-hmm doesn't matter who you're dealing with, whether it be a, a private lender or a tenant or a contractor. Um, so here I'll just give you a quick example. If you're dealing with a tenant, you're showing a, a prospective tenant a property, and they see some like marks on the wall, and you know the girl says, "You know what are those marks on the wall? Like are those going to be fixed or something like that? Let's say the other tenant the existing tenant is home. could be like, "Hey, Samantha." Why are you putting all these marks on my wall? What are you doing, running around here with a scraper? And then you'd look back to the perspective tenant and be like, "Just joking." Samantha's okay. I always get this cleaned up before you move in, if I even accept you. You know, there are a lot of applicants for this property. Yeah. Versus, like, let's say a contrasting example: someone starting out who just isn't coming from that place. Um, They may get down on their knees, like near the wall, and be like, "Oh, like, I'm so sorry, like." try and find a painter you know it should be done before you move in it's like they can sense that right yeah. they can sense that uncertainty and lack of self-assuredness within you yeah so why would they even want to deal with you same with a private lender if they're like how long do you need the money for you're like what uh maybe six eight months or what ltv do you need and you're like oh well, what's an ltv versus six months half 75 percent loan to value yeah being being directed concise so just to get back to your question i would say do whatever you need to do as a person whether it be you know personal development with videos uh, books again not overdoing it practicing in front of a mirror maybe whatever you need to do i mean you're actually a really good example i've seen you improve drastically in this Mm -hmm. area and i think i mentioned that to you before um just based on how you deal with people Mm -hmm. and like i said some people are just going to have that more innately than others but do whatever you need to do to get to that point of always interacting in that self- assured manner, just yeah. knowing that really nothing is, is
0: is an issue. you deal with it, yeah, move forward, yeah you speak with confidence, you know what you're trying to get at, and you know if you make a mistake, you make a mistake, but don't don't plan on that exactly, yeah, plan on being successful and coming across the way you want to come across yeah. yeah. I think it comes with time, though, like some, for some people, right? Some people it's just there, which I think for you it was a more more of that. Uh, whereas for me, like I, I got more like that, the more I understood. which is amazing. The more, the because more research you did I did it as a, yeah.
1: you did it at a conscious level, yeah. which is also incredible, and' that's, that's even more impressive. Um, for instance, even on the way here, like I have a sale that was supposed to close yesterday, but um, this is just a personal example. Um, over this past weekend in London, we had severe rain. Like okay. very inordinate amounts of rain and the basement had considerable amount of water in it. In fact, you know, this property, we're not going to say the name, okay. but um, it had a considerable amount of water come in. Oh, okay. So literally like a day or two before closing and the deals are already firm. It's like, do I want this to happen? No, of course I don't want it. To but once it's happened, once it's already occurred, it's like, whatever, it's done. Deal with it, move yeah. forward. I actually almost enjoy being in that situation knowing that i have that just strength and whatever confidence to push handle it right it's just really no issue Mm -hmm. like so just on the way here 30 minute conversation handled
0: yeah lawyer the other region just it's done it's handled they're closing tomorrow done you're taking care of whatever you need to take care of yeah we worked out a solution yeah that's awesome and i think that comes for for some people that's going to come with with uh again time for other people that's going to be more of a position right like of course for me i find something that helps me have that attitude is to have a good buffer of cash available for my properties oh 100 like when, when things happen you don't want to be like oh god where am i going to find oh, the money yeah, to it? yeah, yeah you yeah. want to be like this is part of the business i knew that i'm in this business good where you know where do i sign that is a huge part of it like cash is just
1: energy yeah just you have a a pent-up amount of energy in your account that you know
0: realistically any problem with real estate can be solved with a check yeah and the answer to how much cash to have is really a personal question how much does it take for you to be able to sleep at night and to know that no matter what happens you get called for a new roof i got quoted i I don't know if it told you this fifteen thousand dollars for my roof on uh my talbot street property that's too much because they have to resheet it and it's two and a half stories up and it's steep still it, it is too much no oh, I that was think, just one I quote think i got nine to eleven is the market right right so so this is why we have these conversations but um you know to know that that somebody might tell you you need 15k uh out of nowhere wasn't expecting it i don't want to pay that but i I know i can so that's the key thing i think for for investors well, just to, look to at what ready. you
1: said like yeah. even five six years ago your mentality would have been so different yeah like you've gotten to this point and i think that's important for these people listening is like you can get to that point too. Yeah. You just have to, like, like I said, read books or watch videos or you know get yeah. yourself to that point where you have enough cash. Yeah. Go through the journey of having that experience, mm-hmm. knowing that
0: whatever pops up, you just deal with it. You move forward and you become stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say the the way that the cash is built up for for pretty well all across my portfolio was from that property's cash flow, just letting it grow. Yeah and uh yeah that's why i say cash flow is important i think you you believe that too right you're not going to buy properties that don't cash flow no absolutely yeah. not awesome okay well carlo we could obviously go on forever uh <laughs> which uh you know we won't do but you know we'll probably get you back here at some point and we'll we'll have another conversation Be and uh, let's go uh let's go do some networking let's do it anyways thanks a lot man yeah thanks andrew thanks for watching today's episode just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on itunes if you're watching on youtube make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell Uh, and also leave a comment and hey while you're at it why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help it helps this podcast grow and i would really appreciate it thanks again we'll see you on the next episode